Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Evolution Exposed Exposed series, recorded June 14, 2021, titled Young Earth vs. Jesus, featuring Dr. Joshua Swamidas. We are putting on a conference called Evolution Exposed. We pulled in experts on the subject of evolution for a total of 11 speakers and gave them just 15 minutes to give us their best. And on top of all that, a one-hour Q&A panel session. You're going to love Evolution Exposed. Anyone can refute evolution. You to the zoo, to me and you. Call that a fairy tale. Not allowed to ask questions. It made evolution look ridiculous. That was the foolishness of atheism. I knew I was going to get corrected. No, I wasn't even listening to your answer. (laughs) This guy might be coming for you. Welcome to Apologia, and another installment of Evolution Exposed, Exposed. Our claim-by-claim investigation of the Creation All-Star Mega Seminar. If you'd like to catch the series from the beginning, tap on the playlist above my head. Having insisted upon a particular interpretation of a Hebrew word, Brian Osborne of Answers in Genesis now continues his presentation, insisting upon a particular theological interpretation. And some would say, okay, Brian, that's all well well and good enough, but hey, who cares? Why shouldn't Christians believe in Nigerians? What's the big deal? That's a fair question. And I think there are lots of really good answers to that. Number one, it matters. Can we trust what the text text clearly says in context. And if we can't trust what Genesis 1 clearly says, why trust John 3.16? If you can't believe one part of the Bible, why trust any other part? It's a matter of authority. So my name is Joshua Swamidas. I'm a scientist and I'm a Christian. I'm from the Lausanne Covenant, which means I think that the Bible is inerrant and infallible and all that it I'm a Christian because I encountered Jesus and I think he's greater than anything I found in science. But I haven't actually found a conflict between what Genesis says and science, including evolutionary science. With Brian's question, yeah, I trust scripture. I'm just not really sure if I trust Brian's word over God's word. And and guys, the text and grammatical structure doesn't allow for millions of years in Genesis. The evidence, rightly understood, doesn't allow for millions of years. Well, actually, the text of Genesis really does allow for millions of years, not by teaching it, but for space. Most young earth creationists actually have recognized and realized that there's gaps in the genealogies and that it doesn't actually tell us history in quite the same way that we expect it from a scientific point of view. It's speaking in context of that culture. And there's gaps in the story. It's just not the whole story. Maybe there was a cosmic fall beforehand. Maybe there was a lot of time beforehand. It doesn't really tell us. And so scripture doesn't really give us the age of the earth. So most importantly, this is the biggest issue. The Bible's theology and the gospel indirectly doesn't allow for millions of years. So I'm going to say, but what do you mean? Here's what I mean. You see, the Bible's clear. So this is important too. He's now going to be making a case that the gospel of Jesus depends on adopting a young earth. And I think it's really important to remember that most young earth creationists would really disagree with him here. Most of us trust what scripture says about this, that it's not young earth creationism that's a cornerstone of the faith, but it's Jesus that's a cornerstone. That's what scripture itself says. But he's going to go ahead and make this case. And I think it's worth following and understanding how he's really reading young earth creationism into scripture here. That it was man's sin that brought death, the enemy, into God's perfect creation. 
You see that all throughout scripture. This man said about death, the intruder into God's perfect creation. So there he goes with the first thing. He talks about reading evolution into God's perfect creation. This is a really common misinterpretation or really deviation from a literal reading of Genesis among some of the prominent young earth creationists. Scripture doesn't say that creation was made perfect. Perfect is a theological term that often means complete. What it says is God made it very good. Very good is not perfect. And this is a really important point. It's an example of where he's really trying to insert his interpretation in place of what God actually said in Scripture. But here's the problem. If we try to squeeze the secular, atheistic idea of millions of years, no matter how you try. Let's be clear here. Evolution is silent about God. It isn't intrinsically atheist. There's certainly atheistic ways to understand evolution, but there's a lot of Christians that, that have no problem with it either. And no Christian would seek to insert atheistic evolution into the Bible. I don't know anyone who's trying to do that. What we're talking about is an understanding of how God created us, possibly by a way of common descent, much in the way how young earth creationists already believe that God created much of the diversity around us from those animals on the ark by a process of evolution. You'll put death before sin. And death before sin is theologically impossible for a whole bunch of reasons. Here are a few. First in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, God told Adam and Eve they were to eat fruit, the animals were to eat plants. Originally, all things were vegetarian, which I know sounds weird to us today because we probably enjoy eating filet mignon wrapped in bacon. This is another place where he's misreading the text. The actual text is talking about the earth, Aretz, which is just that area. And it's not saying that there wasn't things before that that God had created. Many Christians throughout history, long before evolution, wondered about God having created things before. And that's why actually even Genesis 1 starts out with the earth there and the void over which the spirit was hovering. The earth was there before the first day. So people have wondered for a long time about creation before that. And so what's being said here is just to these animals that God created, uh, that God had given them fruit for food. And it also doesn't say that they didn't <laughs> eat other animals. St. Augustine was in many ways a young earth creationist, and that's, he thought that earth was young because he had no reason to think otherwise. But he said that, you know, given the carnivory we see in the world, it would be crazy to think that there was no animal death before the fall that there clearly was when God made lions. And when we see David talk about that in Psalms as predatory behavior being beautiful, we shouldn't really be surprised that there was animal death before the fall. Have you seen the Eric Hovind movie where a T-Rex eats watermelon out of a tree? Because that's that <laughs> <Yeah. pretty convincing>. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing about it is that Young Earth creationists will talk about how animal death is this horrible evil and then go have a steak. And then when you ask them about this, they'll say, oh, yeah, but later on, God said that we could that they could start eating meat. Right. Right. But that means that even in the text itself and in their behavior, they're recognizing that animal death is not intrinsically evil. Right. And so there is a deep contradiction between their behavior and their theology and the history of the church, which has not been strictly vegetarian. <laughs> Jains actually believe that animal death in any form is intrinsically evil, and they live consistent with that. They, they don't actually eat animals. They're vegetarians. And if animal death is intrinsically bad... Every young earth creationist we see should be vegetarian, or at least all of them that are making this argument should be <laughs> vegetarians. And that's just not what's going on. And that's a big clue, if you're following this, that there's really things other than the text of scripture driving him here. What's really going behind this is that he's trying to make a case that the gospel depends 
on young earth creationism and this interpretation he's reading into this what is not there for the purpose of making that case and one way we know that as i said is that his own life is in conflict with this so there were restrictions in the old testament and then peter eventually saw a vision of sheet coming down and god told him that he could eat of everything and later on that even food to idols might be okay like you would have called that a progressive revelation right it depends what you mean by progressive revelation some people mean that in a way that i would disagree with meaning that god's telling us that what he said in the past was false and not true that doesn't make any sense that's incoherent progressive revelation never invalidates something before I think that's the theology, right? Progressive revelation never says something else was wrong. It's just greater illumination over time, right? Well, and the purpose is communication. So if you see Genesis 1 in context, like this is in context of the Pentateuch and like the kosher dietary laws mm-hmm. and what's going on there. And a key part of what's going on is that when God has a sacred people, there are special rules associated with it. It communicates something to in that covenantal relationship. In the same way, if you get married to someone, there are special rules associated with that. Right. It's the same thing here. And so God calls out this special people and he gives them the kosher dietary laws, not because it's intrinsically evil to eat a pig. Right. Or there's no healthy way to prepare a pig and bacon is evil. Rather, he's trying to communicate something in that context. And even at that time, perhaps even eating pigs might have been pretty unhealthy because they didn't have the same understanding of germs that we do, right? But now in our context and later on, he's saying, well, actually, what I'm trying to communicate to you now is though I have interacted through a special covenantal people. Right. When I'm telling you, you can go ahead and eat that pig to Peter, you know, he sees the unclean animals mm-hmm. come down. That's what I'm communicating to you is that I'm bursting out of just that tiny, narrow part of the world and wanting to welcome all people, even those that are not even following the special ty- dietary or sacred rules. Right. To take that to mean, therefore, that there was never any death before outside the garden well that's deeply confused yeah the way brian's thing holds it would have had to have been intrinsically wrong at some point well even now i mean if it's intrinsically wrong it was wrong then and it's wrong now it's not something that god can just change what's also critical here too is if you take a literal reading of genesis which you know i don't think is in conflict with science at all you're really forced to take this view because the end of chapter three of genesis it says that death comes to adam and eve right The way it comes is explicitly laid out. It's by removing them from the garden. That tells us a couple things. First of all, on Earth, unless you think Adam was exiled to the moon, (laughs) there is a region that's within the garden and there's a region outside the garden. You have to have that view because there's no way to read it otherwise unless you're going to completely make the thing metaphorical, which I don't think Brian is doing. And so if that's the case, then you have to ask, well, wait a minute, what is it actually saying? Well, it's saying that death comes to Adam because he no longer has access to the tree of life. And so the teaching of scripture is very clearly, if you read it literally, that there is death outside the garden. Now, Brian can take a different view than scripture if he chooses, but we shouldn't take his word and his interpretations that he made up somewhere else as a substitute for what scripture really clearly tells us in a literal reading. But it makes really good biblical sense because there was no death in this world until after Adam sinned, which means you can't eat meat until after he sinned because when we eat meat, we're eating an animal that has died. Before sin, no death, everything has to be vegetarian. So this is also another place where he's misquoting scripture. He's referring to Romans 5, 12 through 14. It says, quote, 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. In the Greek, it actually says anthropos. It's not talking about animal death there. It's just talking about mankind. Mankind in scripture is really defined as Adam and Eve and their descendants. And it's not saying anything about animal death. So it's entirely possible that, you know, if Adam and Eve are the progenitors of the whole human race, which is entirely consistent with evolutionary science, and they were in a garden protected from death, it's because they sinned that death came to all of us just as it says in in Romans. Now, that's not going to satisfy Brian because he wants scripture to tell us something more than it does. He He wants us to believe that Romans is talking not just about all people, but about all animals. But that's just not what it says. And in the end, you know, when I'm faced with that choice, I think I'm willing to trust what scripture says, but I'm not so sure about Brian. Not till after the flood that God told Noah, just as I've given you plants to eat, now, Noah, you can eat everything. Which, by the way, this is the reason you can eat a hot dog, because it is everything. And that's our standard ministry joke right there. All right. There, once again, is that conflict coming out. Just a couple slides ago, he was telling us that animal death was intrinsically evil. He left out the fact that there was an immense amount of life and joy in the past, too. It wasn't just a pile of bones. It was beautiful things that God pointed to these animals over time that we look at. That's part of the reason why dinosaurs are so friggin' amazing. We just think that they're beautiful and we want to learn more about them. It's because there's something deeply good about it, even if it was temporary. And God is allowed to make things that are temporary. And yet, he said that was intrinsically evil. Having a, an animal living, having a full life, and then dying was intrinsically evil. Yet now, God, without any explanation, can somehow switch over and tell us that it's okay to eat them and kill them? I don't understand that. That just seems like a direct contradiction. But why is this a problem? Here's why it's a problem. If we reject the clear biblical teaching and its implications that God made a perfect creation, that then man sin bringing death and suffering into this world, and then there was a global flood. There he goes again. He said perfect creation, and yet his slide says very good. There's a difference between very good and perfect. That <laughs> laid down most of the rock layers and fossils we see today. If you reject that, and you said embrace the secular, atheistic idea that the rock layers and fossils were laid down slowly over millions of years, way before man ever existed, and thus before sin. So let's slow down again, too. The idea of a geological column is not a secular atheistic idea. The first geologists were largely Christian, and they didn't see a conflict with this in Scripture because most people did not see Scripture teaching a young earth. (laughs) And they just thought that this was stuff that might have happened before the creation described in Genesis. That was the most common view at the time. It was not an atheistic idea. It was a Christian idea to start with that got picked up in secular science. And those rock layers supposedly laid down before man, before sand, we find lots of evidence of animals eating each other. But the Bible says, before man sinned, all things were vegetarian. We find that same fossil record, lots of evidence of diseases like cancer and arthritis and brain tumors and many others. But before man sinned, the Bible says God looked down all day six before man sinned and called everything very good. It's just hard to take this seriously because he put up passages that do not say what he said they said. They say something totally different. So what does that mean? It means that his argument just doesn't hold water. So how, how is such a smart guy so convinced of this, Paul? <laughs> well, it's just a few short years ago that I believed everything that Brian is putting out here. I'm no smarter today than I was then. 
The trouble with authority-based belief systems is that they tend to discourage asking difficult questions. I imagine he's sincere in saying he cares about scripture, but scripture doesn't say what he just said it said. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I would hope that young earth creationists, and I, I would say most young earth creationists I know, mm -hmm. take scripture more seriously than this. They would not do what we're seeing Brian do. And I think there are ways to be a faithful Christian and be a young earth creationist, but I think that I would hope to see more commitment to scripture here. If you ask answers in Genesis, they would say that they are primarily a biblical authority ministry. But I'm familiar enough with them to see that this is a top-down system. God tells Ken Ham, Ken Ham tells his employees, the employees tell the customers, the customers tell their children, and down the line it goes. Well, sure, but I guess as a Christian, I trust God's word over Ham's word. <laughs> Almost anything is an improvement. And I think that if you're going to talk to me about scripture, I mean, like, let's take it and read it literally, if that's what you want to do. It doesn't literally say what he said. It says something very different. Surely he would not call men to be of death, suffering, bloodshed, cancer, very good. If he did, he's not a very good God. And by the way, if this were true, it makes God the author of death. It's part of his original, very good creation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what? A, wow. You know, as Christians, we believe that God allowed his very son to die. And that's how we come into relationship with him. So somehow Jesus saw something worth death beyond that, something greater than death to really go through that. And if he'd only focused on the death side of it, he would have never died for us. And I think one of the messages of Christianity is that there are things that are more important than avoiding death. This seems to be something that Brian has really forgotten, and all he's doing is focusing on the death, except for what actually came by way of that, and all the things alongside it, to realize that there are things that are more important than avoiding death. I think scripture is actually very clear in teaching that a lot of stuff that God does, we're not going to fully get. God has the right to make, it says, vessels for noble purposes and for mundane purposes. He has the right to make beings that have a temporary existence. There's nothing written into the, the code of goodness or logic or philosophy that says that there's something evil about God making temporary beings. Right. The doctrine of unknown sufficient reasons. Mysterious ways. Well, yeah. and I mean, well, what's going on is that, you know, he, he's, it's a very one-sided view, right? So, yes, there was a lot of death in the past. But death isn't the same thing as suffering, and it's not even really the same thing as extinction or even struggle. Struggle can actually be a good thing. You know, the reason why we like sports is because of the struggle. <laughs> right. And so all that stuff's getting conflated all together, but he's left out the beauty and the grandeur and the joy in the life. If God had not made temporary beings, there'd be much less joy in life. And so what God did here is he made something that is endless forms most beautiful. <laughs> No one looks at the fossil record like that. We look at it and we see incredible joy and beauty and grandeur alongside all of this. And we, and we call it very good. All of us do. And so he has to really create an imaginary cartoon view to make sense of this that I think we should just understand it for what it is. It is merely a cartoon that does not reflect reality. Listen, I can't have you coming on my channel and disparaging cartoons. That's just... <laughs> some cartoons are better at representing reality than the others. All right, fair enough. <laughs> and then on top of that, evidently, he used many years of death as part of his creative process. That's an indirect attack on God's character. We find thorns in the fossil record, supposedly millions of years old, but the Bible's clear thorns came after the curse. So once again, he's misread scripture. Genesis 3.18 says that Adam, when he exited the garden, would encounter thistles. 
In the same way there was death outside the garden, there were thistles outside the garden. He really has to twist and avoid the clear teaching of a literal reading of Genesis to ignore the reality that, you know, there was a border to the garden. The garden was a special sacred space, and outside it was different with death, thorns, and thistles, as it's actually described literally in Genesis. But most important of all, if we try to squeeze millions of years into the Bible, it doesn't matter how you try. Day age theory, gap theory, progressive creation, theistic evolution, framework, hypothesis, guys, a temple, and on and on it goes. It sounds like he hasn't actually heard about the genealogical Adam and Eve. He didn't actually list that, which really fits outside those categories. What do you think, Paul? Do you think that's something he might want to think about? <laughs> I do think he might want. There is a book out there with that name that has caused quite a stir in the Christian community. But I'm not sure I can do it justice. What's the quick version of your view? Well, I show how a really literal reading of Genesis, very much in the style of young earth creationism, at least by the hermeneutics, you know, consistent with the Chicago statements, is entirely consistent with evolution. Adam and Eve could have been de novo, created without parents as recently as just 6,000 years ago, and to be ancestors of all of us. The key thing we just have to do is actually read what scripture says and see that it's talking about a space inside and outside the garden, as most readers of Genesis have really understood for, you know, really hundreds and thousands of years. Not because of evolution, because that's just what the text says. And, you know, if you make that distinction between inside and outside the garden, you know, all this conflict goes away. It just seems that the brines might benefit from a closer look at the science and at scripture and the church tradition. And how does this differ from traditional theistic evolution? You think there are hominid societies outside of a literal Garden of Eden, right? Well, so how is this different from traditional theistic evolution? Well, that's such a diverse crowd, it's hard to really really, really kind of say. I think that a lot of Christians that have affirmed evolution have thought that it meant abandoning a literal reading of Genesis. And we may or may not like a literal reading of Genesis, but from just a clearly scientific point of view, that just turns out not to be true. If you read Genesis more literally than Brian is reading it here, mm. that's entirely consistent with evolutionary science. So most people didn't know that until recently. And I think that really calls into question a lot of the reasons why people have rejected what Genesis says on one hand. I mean, there might be reasons to reject what Genesis says, but conflict with evolution isn't one of them. And it also calls into question the reasons why people like Brian have rejected evolution. There might be reasons to reject evolution, but this isn't one of them. And if Brian wanted to learn more about that, what would you suggest he read? Oh, well, you know, my book, The Genealogical Adam and Eve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or anyway, one of the many reviews about it. I'm not, it's not so much about getting him to read my book. It's the issue no. is that uh, there, there's like a matter of fact that he's clearly confused on, both on science and on scripture. If there's death before sin? That means death is not the consequence or the payment for sin. It's just always been around. Part of God's very good creation. And if death is not the payment for sin, then Jesus' death cannot and does not pay our sin debt. And we just destroyed the foundation for Christ's atoning work on the cross. So this is the most important slide for Brian. This is his point. And he's really echoing, you know, the argument of his employer, uh, Answers in Genesis. They really believe that if you reject young earth creationism, you've really taken a position in direct conflict with the gospel. This is an example of how they really say that young earth creationism is the foundation of the Christian faith. That is their position, but it's important to recognize that this is wildly outside of historical Christianity. Even most young earth creationists would recognize this as falsehood. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the cornerstone, not young earth creationism. It does not say that rejecting death before sin, certainly doesn't say that rejecting animal death before sin 
is the foundation of the gospel. It says that Jesus, I mean, frankly, even if you're convinced that there's death before sin, that evolution is true, and you wonder about how God was involved, there's still good enough reason to follow Jesus. The core of the gospel is that Jesus died and rose again. Now, you might dispute that. You might argue against that, as I know you have, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But that's where the argument is. And if you came to see that Jesus rose from the dead, and you see that he's good, you can follow him, even if Genesis doesn't make sense yet. And uh, Brian doesn't know that. I'd love to introduce him to some of my friends that came to follow Jesus, even though they affirm evolution. Now, if you just look logically at this, too, it doesn't make sense. He says that if there was death before sin, then death is not the consequence or payment for sin. But I already showed you how that could be the case. It could be that there was animal death out there. But if Adam and Eve had not sinned, humans would not be facing death because we'd still be in the garden. And yet, because we were exiled, then, you know, we are facing death. Therefore, Jesus' death can pay for our sin debt by the logic of his own argument. He just hasn't considered the ways to make sense of it all together. And the reason why, like I said, is he's actually started with the message before he looked at scripture. He knows that young earth creationism is more important than the gospel, and he's going to read scripture in a way to make that clear, even though scripture says literally exactly the opposite. whether we meant to or not. And at best, we made this event in history unnecessary. And we can all agree that's unbiblical in the highest degree. And friends, this is why we care so much. This issue is not about the winning an argument about the age of the earth per se. Yes, we agree. Any theology that says that Christ's sacrifice is unnecessary is wrong. But who is he talking to? No Christian I know thinks this. No Christian I know that affirms evolution thinks this. So, I, I mean, if we're not supposed to call it a, a, a cartoon, do we call it a straw man, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> it's about defending biblical authority and the gospel rooted in that authority. That's what's at stake, and that's why this stuff matters so much. Because truly, the gospel begins not in Matthew, but in the book of Genesis. Look, let's say you're a Christian watching this who really disagrees with evolution. Fine. But this is why this matters. This is a total distortion of the gospel. Even if evolution is false, your friend can believe evolution and still follow Jesus. Don't let anyone try to distort the gospel this significantly that they try to tell you otherwise than that. Even if origins doesn't make sense, Jesus does. You can still follow him. Whether or not you follow Jesus, you'll have your mind expanded and amazed by following Josh's website, PeacefulScience.org. Or have your presumptions about origins challenged and reframed with his book, The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Links to both in the description. Next time on Evolution Exposed Exposed, Brian brings his myopic definitions from scripture interpretation into the field of science. We cannot observe or repeat millions of years in a laboratory. Yeah, that's not how that works. We got some work to do. See you over there. Later.